What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Hybrid Fitness Embedded Podcast. By the time this one comes out, I believe it will be episode number nine, and Dion and I talk about all things diet. So we did an episode talking about diet in a very general sense uh, at the very beginning of the podcast, and this one gets a little bit more specific. So I personally find that when people start thinking about the diet they are going to follow or implement when trying to take control of their health, people are concerned about the wrong details and they miss the big picture stuff. It's like someone who's going to paint a picture and... They only want to know what colors to use. They don't want to they don't care about what they're going to paint. They don't care about what the picture is actually going to look like. They just want to know, tell me what colors to use. I don't care how to I don't care about how to paint. I don't care what this painting's going to look like. I don't care about what even the the theme of this painting is. Just tell me if I should use red or blue or green. And I think that sort of mentality makes ugly, terrible pictures that no one's ever going to buy. So hopefully you're with me on that analogy here. Because in this episode, we start talking about the specifics of different sorts of diets and what can be good about them, what can be problematic about them. But at the end of the day, I find those details outside of having a basic structure that gives you confidence of, of okay, well, I have an idea of what I'm supposed to be doing here. Most people get bogged down in details while missing the big picture, and they just want to be told, okay, well, tell me how much protein you need, how many carbohydrates, how many fats, what sh- foods should I eat, what foods should I avoid, and I think you need a big picture, more general philosophy if you want to succeed in your diet in the long term, and that's where this podcast goes. So uh, thanks for checking it out. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Hybrid Fitness Embedded Podcast. Ready when you are. Let's do this. So uh, back in our first episode, we talked about nutrition pretty broadly. Like we talked a lot about the behavior and the the psychology behind uh, eating and the habits there. Yeah. Um, I thought today we'd talk a little bit more specifically about... um, kind of the different diets that you see going on, uh, some of the popular diets that that exist right now, just because, you know, we touched on that in episode one. And if you're interested in listening to that, go back to episode one where we do touch about those. Uh, But if I Google diet right now, I'm going to get a slew of information, but I'm going to get a few kind of themes that come up like keto and paleo and raw food and um our personal favorite Metflex doesn't really show <laughs> up. I don't know why. Cause it's honestly, it's like, it's good. But, um, I thought maybe we'd start talking about those, um, talking about what they are, some pros and cons, why someone might adopt that. And then also, um, kind of looking at the typical Western diet, maybe towards the end and some things to avoid in general. Sure. So why don't we start talking about um, why all of these different diets seem to, um, or you have a lot of different diets, but there seem to be like five or six at any given time that are very popular. Why do you think that these emerge um, from the from the plethora of of diets that you could potentially do? 
I guess those are just the ones that catch on. Um, I don't think there's necessarily any rhyme or reason to what's popular. Mm-hmm. It's just it's the snowball that gains enough snow and gets that critical mass that it becomes pop culture, mm-hmm. basically, right? So um, any diet that uh, any diet out there that anyone can create is going to make a certain type of person successful, right? Given who that person is, where they come from, what their problems are. So if a million people try a diet and a hundred to a thousand people succeed on it, that's pretty dismal success rate. But if those hundred to thousand people are just talking about this thing nonstop, showing their before and after pictures, giving their success story, then it gives everyone the impression that that's the diet that might be for them. Mm -hmm. So before we even get into specific diets, all diets across the board have have enough opportunity to give a sliver of the population success that they enough people can share their story that everyone feels like this is a successful diet to try. Mm. And I, I guess whatever, you know, every 10 years, whichever diet produces the most of those people, the quickest or the loudest makes the loudest group, right? Because people are diet identifiers. So mm. they, they, they look at diet almost from a, a religious viewpoint where mm. it becomes a part of them. You know, those the loudest groups are typically the ones that rise to the top and then just everyone else jumps on board. It's mm-hmm. the same as uh, it's the same as like critical mass in sales. Right. You have the early adopters of a product who are willing to try something out and the, maybe they're less risk adverse and they'll pay a little bit more for a product. And then you get the next wave of people who come in. And then it takes a while to get to the point where it's just now it's a big consumer product. Same thing happens in in diet. It's mm-hmm. a little small subset that tries it. More people try it. Maybe just a few people succeed. But that small group of successful people gets big enough and loud enough mm-hmm. that eventually the rest of the consumer market trails on. And then it becomes a popular diet. Maybe you can speak on this too because you've been in the industry a little bit longer than I and probably your eyes have been open to especially the trends that uh, emerge in nutrition. Um, you know, if you think back in, in the 90s or, or earlier, like you had Weight Watchers, you had Atkins. Do you see like a certain demographic that these diets are kind of simultaneously targeting? Like a certain age group or a certain, like, you know, are we going after... Um, older women or younger men because right now it seems like you look at this keto and you look at paleo and it's very geared towards this kind of like active lifestyle like we want to fuel your body with raw ingredients like our ancestors used to right and a lot of these seem to follow those themes do you, do you see certain themes um become prevalent in these diet diets together kind of over the years or well right now you're not going to find People know too much about nutrition right now to get on a diet that isn't a whole food diet. So that's a commonality that you're going to see between all these diets. And the thing that is commonly good (laughs) about all these diets is that they're all whole foods diets. Mm -hmm. So that would be the common theme. And as far as the type of person who is typically going to gravitate towards these diets or any diet, I'm going to say it's one of two people. 
person one is scared, right? Mm -hmm. And they're worried about their health and they're just trying to seek out the thing that's going to give them the thing that they want. Person two is the person who lacks, uh, who lacks purpose and maybe lacks some identity and they're using their diet as a means to be part of a community and have a purpose. And you especially see this in something like a vegan community. And there's, you know, I would say there's good and bad vegans, right? There's vegans where it's, hey, this is my connection with animals. Therefore, I choose not to eat animal meats or consume animal products, whether it's healthy or not, whether it's the best choice from a health perspective or not, that's not what it's about for me. And it's just a personal choice. Then you have vegan B where it's, this is the only way to eat. If you don't eat this way, you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. And if you're eating any other way, and if you consume meat, you're killing yourself, right? Which is a completely different type of person mm -hmm. that I would have a completely different type of uh, opinion mm -hmm. on. Um, but that's what I would say. The commonalities is you're always going to see these whole food diets now, which is a good thing, right? You're not going to, I mean, you might see things like Shakeology or Herbalife or, mm -hmm. but the clay, the world of cleanses and shakes, I would say is, is a little bit different than the diet world, but people who are looking for those diets are people who are afraid for their health or people who need to, to be a part of something or a little bit of both maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that, would you say companies, um, picking on to this and developing like these ready to go meals, all that, would you say that's sort of a, a good or bad thing when it comes to, to these diets? Like it's, it's becoming easier to, to stick to a diet. In my opinion, it's becoming easier if you have meals that are, you're able to get at home. Um, you're able to go to a, a restaurant and, and have like, you know, this is ketogenic or this is whatever, but it's almost like we're, we're lacking, um, a fundamental part of that, which is prep preparing the food. Right. So, you know, maybe talk a little bit about the significance in the process of preparing it. I know we're kind of switching gears a little bit, but that just kind of came up with, with what you're talking there. Um, how, how important is that? And, and how do you start? Um, where do you start if, if you're not used to doing that? Let's say you're a student or a busy professional. Um, you want to, to do a particular diet for whatever reason. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to look at it. The first thing I'll say is, you know, if you look, like a, look at a meal prep company mm -hmm. who you'll say, like, this is the type of food that I want. Some companies really even do it down to like the macronutrient ratio mm -hmm. of my, I want my meal to have this much protein, this much carbohydrates, this much fat, mm -hmm. this much overall calories, I, which I assume roughly you can get. Um, that can be helpful for people that are busy and don't have skills in the kitchen and don't have confidence there. And they just want to change the way that they eat. That can be helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's also important where you don't have skill, you suffer. Right. And where you don't have skills, you also leave a lot to to someone else's authority. So if you go your whole life uh, trading skill for convenience, right, where, yeah, it's OK to use a food prep company to help you out. 
But if you never, ever learn how to make good meals by making a lot of bad meals and experimenting mm-hmm. and trying, then you never develop that skill. And, you know, speaking for myself personally, cooking is not just something that I'm good at, but it's something that I enjoy. Whereas someone will look at preparing food and cooking and making meals as a chore, I look at it as something that I like to do, especially when it comes to making food for my family, like pretty much every meal I will make for my family because I look at it as it's something that I like to do and it's the biggest contribution I can make to my family's health mm-hmm. is to is to provide this these sorts of foods for them and make whole foods taste good and make them exciting and make them fun for my kids. So I think those sorts of uh, those sorts of convenience companies can be helpful. But you want to be able to increase your skill with something that you value. And if you value your health and if you value the nutritional aspect of your health, you want to build skill there and you want Mm. to build ability there. And then the second half of this is that you see companies who jump on the craze with with processed foods that are not good for us but they can fit into the latest diet craze model so now you see all these like keto snacks and things out there but it's still just a processed food bar that Mm. you're having in place of whole food or if you just go to the grocery store you'll see you'll see packaged meat that says gluten-free and things like that, where it's like there's no meat in the world that has gluten in it, yeah. right? There's no chicken breast that has gluten in it. And, and companies just know, hey, gluten-free is the latest thing. If I smack gluten-free on this thing that has never had gluten in it, yeah. people will buy it. Yeah. And they'll just be like, oh, that meat's gluten-free. Yeah. I want that one. Yeah. And, it, and it must work. Because companies are still doing it. So you have those companies that are not really interested in the health components of the trend. They're just interested in in the commerce of it. And I mean, if you're selling stuff, fair enough. I guess that's what it's all about for you. And then you have companies like food prep companies and things like that, which I'm sure can be very helpful for Mm -hmm. people. But you, I think you also want to be careful when it's a complete crutch where if I didn't have that thing, my life would fall apart. Because that game is going to end right through something's going to fall through the floor first and mm-hmm. it's going to be the food prep company and then you're maybe you're three years down the road and you're a much healthier person with the aid of this food company but now that it's not there for your crutch anymore you're 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 no better off than you were three years ago mm-hmm. you have no more skills you have no more abilities and you're suffering from the same problem so i don't know if that answers your question yeah. or not you're used to the fish, but you never, you've never learned to fish. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like, what happens right now if a power grid goes out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's screwed. Yeah. If you don't know how to grow a vegetable, like if you, if you, if you don't think you could go and and hunt your own food, if you don't think you could build a fire, like of course this is not something that's likely to happen. Yeah. But this is, you know, on the, a smaller scale. That's what people are doing when mm-hmm. they don't even learn how to cook a meal mm-hmm. right yeah there's all these uh there's all these through ways that you can use and all these crutches you can use to get mm-hmm. around that but wouldn't it be better if if while you were doing that you were also learning how to take care of yourself it's empowering and it allows you to to take better control of your health and you don't leave that part of yourself up to someone else or up mm-hmm. to a service or up to a product or a tool which 
are nice to have, but they're a mistake in the long run if, mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't address the reason why you need that food mm-hmm. prep company in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree. Like, kind of going to your point of cooking is something you enjoy um, and you find it meaningful. You know, my wife and I we we had a date where we cooked. It was great. Um, it was a fun time. It was our time, um, and we set aside that time and we had a, a great meal at the end of it. So. Going back to the uh, the gluten free thing, have you ever seen those those uh, drink packs? And it says contains juice. I always thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a juice box, and then it says contains juice. Contains trace like, amounts. Trace of amounts juice. of juice. I was like, what is the other stuff? I don't know what's going on here. Um, let's let's kind of talk about um, again. There's a lot of info. There's probably you can find information, but can you kind of boil down what a ketogenic diet is, why someone would choose to adopt that, what the benefits are, um, and then any other kind of tidbits you got going for the for the keto diet? Sure. So for a ketogenic diet, what I'll say is most people who are listening to this should not adopt it. Um, I don't think you should do I don't think you should do anything that you're not going to do forever and i don't think you should do anything that isn't sustainable uh the only caveat to that is if i had a neurological disorder Mm -hmm. if i had a child who suffered from uh, epileptic seizures if i had a certain type of cancer then a ketogenic diet is something that i would look into for specific therapeutic purposes and there are a lot of places like that where it is very promising. Mm-hmm. Still, uh, you know, still early in the research to know exactly what the outcomes will be with using that diet therapeutically, but lots of promising, uh, lots of promising studies and research right now mm-hmm. as far as those things go. But as far as a lifestyle, a ketogenic diet just means you eat so few carbohydrates that your body shifts to using ketones for energy and ketones is basically broken down body fat or dietary fat um basically what glucose basically what carbohydrates are to glucose to blood sugar in the bloodstream fat is to ketones Mm -hmm. in our bloodstream Mm -hmm. right so it's basically our back forcing us into our backup energy system so if you couldn't find food for three days, you would start to metabolize your body fat, and that's what would provide energy to your to your brain and body, mm-hmm. right? In the absence of food, that is what would keep you going. So I would say that modern human beings should be spending some time using that backup energy system, but not as a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And not just because I think it's fairly untested, and even people who say, you know, evolutionarily or or from an ancestral perspective it's a natural state sure from time to time but even our caveman ancestors weren't just starving every day of their lives or only eating fat or eating 90 to 95 percent fat right Mm -hmm. even when there was no carbohydrates coming in they would be eating enough protein that it would be kicking them out of quote-unquote ketosis Mm -hmm. So a ketogenic diet just means you bring down your carbohydrate intake so low that you use ketones instead of glucose for fuel, which of course uh, makes it easier for you to use body fat. But if you're still overeating, if you're still under exercising, if you're still doing all the stuff that most people do Mm -hmm. in their life every single day, 
then it doesn't matter if you're not consuming a bunch of carbohydrates. You mm -hmm. can still overeat fat just as easily and mm -hmm. have the same negative result. The other thing is that who is going to just eat 20 to 30 grams of carbohydrates every day for the rest of their lives? What does that look like for someone who doesn't know what a gram of carbohydrates will? Give us a little visual. I would say you're having two to three cups per day of greens. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Some mm -hmm. people would say up to 50 grams of carbohydrates. Uh, most people would say between 20 to 30 grams. But yeah, like you're looking at what? Three quarters of a cup of raspberries per day. Wow. That's it. Yeah. So it's just, it's not for the average person, it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And for some people it is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And for some people can work for it. And some people can make that a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But I would say as far as a popular diet that's going to help people lose weight, have energy, get all these things that most people want, mm -hmm. it's unnecessary and it's going to be a very difficult way mm -hmm. to get there. But at the same time, I think everyone should spend some time in ketosis, whether it's, you know, one day a month, you go 24 hours without food. Like you have dinner at 6 or 7 p.m. the night before and you don't eat again until 6 to 7 p.m. the next day. That'll do it for you. Um, occasional fasted exercise will do it. Mm -hmm. um, trying some sort of intermittent fasting, like going 16 to 18 hours mm -hmm. without eating. All these things will put you into a mild ketogenic state, which I think is good to push yourself into now and again because – it, it reminds your body, oh, yeah, you can use fat for energy as well. And it makes you more efficient at using that. But I don't think it's something you should aim to do 24-7 because I don't think we necessarily know that it's a, that it's good. It's a good long-term choice. And number two, for most people, it's that's, you know, even just from a social perspective, that's going to be a nightmare mm -hmm. for you to try and keep up. So you got to balance those sorts of things. And it's a very uh, unbalanced approach to the average person's diet. So ketogenic state and fasted state, are those two terms interchangeable? Well, because we don't want to confuse ketogenic diet with intermittent fasting. Those are two different right. things. They both, they can both produce a certain level of ketones right. is basically what it is. Mm -hmm. um, so, if you're only eating a high fat diet and your body only has fat to metabolize for fuel, mm -hmm. then it's going to start producing ketones. Right. Um, that doesn't mean that it's burning body fat. It just means it's using fat because that's what's available. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas fasting, especially prolonged fasting, that's breaking your body's fat down your own stored fat which will also produce ketones inside of the bloodstream um, but people get people you know now do a ketogenic diet and they fight for ketosis and they wear the amount of ketones they can produce from from blood testing like a badge of honor but it's like if you have ketones through the roof when you test your blood it just means you're not using energy properly well, otherwise, why would so much of it be floating around your bloodstream? So, I mean, there's lots of complex roads we can twist and turn down, which mm -hmm. I don't think will be that helpful. But, um, you know, I'm speaking about my own personal opinion of what I know about nutrition and what I know about people. And for what most people want to achieve, a ketogenic diet is unnecessary for what you're trying 
to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But therapeutically, it has lots of exciting opportunities mm -hmm. for people who are in those demographics. But outside of that, I think uh, for most people, it's it's going to be more trouble than it's worth. What about the keto flu? Yeah, so that's another thing. Keto flu could be one of 50,000 things, right? Yeah. It might be an electrolyte imbalance. You might not be getting enough overall energy just mm -hmm. from changing food sources mm -hmm. and restricting other food sources. Uh, you might be in an energy no man's land. If you're so adapted to using carbohydrates and so poor at using fat for energy, then you're only eating fat and your body doesn't really know what to do with it or how to metabolize it. You might not be producing enough energy. Mm -hmm. um, no one can really know from person to person exactly what's happening when they have the quote unquote keto flu because mm -hmm. there's so many drastic changes going on that when people just immediately switch to that diet. Yeah. Um, but I find anyone who cuts down carbohydrates typically doesn't uh, consume enough electrolytes because you turn really? them over so much faster without those carbohydrates in your diet. Um, you turn and, over electrolytes faster without carbohydrates. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You you spill them. You you spill them out a lot more quickly when you're not consuming carbohydrates. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, how about um, how about paleo? What is that? Paleo diet. At this point, it's hard to say. Ca cavemen. <laughs> so is that, the, is how cavemen used to eat. Right. Is the, 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 the original idea is our eating the way we are most evolutionarily adapted to eat right and the trick is well number one there's a debate about even the existence of human beings and how long we've been on the face of this planet mm -hmm. uh you know which is a, a debate for another day for for different uh, different groups of people um but then it's like we don't really know what people used to eat yeah and i posted something about this the other day because they found uh they found cooking tools that were used to like break down and cook starches and things like mm -hmm. that oh, at a period of time when we didn't think that human beings were eating those types of foods like starches and tubers cool and the in the post i put this is what we know about the history of human diet sometimes we only ate meat sometimes we didn't eat meat mm -hmm. sometimes we ate meat and plant matter mm -hmm. in various quantities all like here's the here's what we know about the evolutionary human diet we ate whatever we could yeah. when it was in front of us whatever yeah. we could access and this is what makes a human being human being is adaptability mm -hmm. so sure the more processed a food is probably the less benefit you are going to get out of it but beyond that you know human beings especially if you look at just your genetic lineage mm -hmm. where your family comes from and what food they had access to and for how long like when you get you can't boil that down to a generalized picture of all human mm -hmm. beings like all human beings should eat this way because over the course of history and evolutionary times this is what we ate like because no one really knows and in different regions they ate different things that, exactly <laughs> There's some places yeah. where all they ate was cows and blood, yeah. right? Yeah. And some places where all they eat is whale blubber. And some yeah. places where all they ate were roots and tubers and right. plants and seeds and things that they could like. Everyone is different. Mm -hmm. And that's, I believe that's why now so many people can have so many different reactions to so many foods. And now just modern life and the modern environment mm -hmm. and the variation from person to person just in a single lifespan 
you can't say all these foods are safe all these foods are problems there's there's got to be some some room for individuality in there Mm -hmm. and there's some fruits and vegetables that are going to make some people feel great and some people feel not so great there's probably you know there's probably people who do very well with dairy some people will suffer with it Mm -hmm. starches roots tubers some people will digest them very well some people will digest them very poorly so to generalize and say oh this is how our ancestors ate so this is how we should eat now I get it, mm-hmm. right? I get what you're trying to say. And for the most part, it's good to say, eat whole foods, don't eat processed foods. Mm-hmm. But then when we get into this um, you know, ideology of we know what humans ate from this period of time to this period of time, and from this period of time to this period of time, there it's for you should have more of this and less of that. Um, I think it gets a little beyond our actual understanding and scope of evolutionary diets yeah the further down that road you get the more convoluted it kind of gets and yeah Yeah, it's just don't eat processed crap yeah like it can just end there yeah but then you can't create a movement and a tribe behind simple advice like that Mm -hmm. you if you want to make something exciting that people grasp onto that can become profitable and grow it's there's got to be more to it than the advice that actually matters right yeah i think we just want to be hunter gatherers again exactly and that's why it's such a huge component of crossfitter diets Mm -hmm. historically maybe not so much anymore but in the beginning it was like crossfit and paleo went hand in Mm -hmm. hand and i think it's that you know people who want to go to a gym where there's a competitive spirit it's all about lifting and primal movements and they're eating a paleo diet i think there's got to be something to that and if you go from eating a typical standard North American diet to eating a paleo diet, it's going to do amazing things for you, mm-hmm. right? If you cut out processed food mm-hmm. and eat whole foods in place of that, great things are going to happen. But I don't think you need this sort of evolutionary uh, scope on diet and justification in order to to make that point mm-hmm. of processed foods are problematic. Whole foods are good. And within those good whole foods – some are going to be good for some people and some other people are going to struggle with. So there is that, would you say there's a, a clear, like a, a good distinction between processed and raw food, but within that raw food category, there's plenty of different options that you could choose from. But if you were to start somewhere, it would probably be avoiding the process and going more towards raw natural foods. Yeah. So I assume you mean whole foods when you say whole, raw foods. Whole foods, sorry. Raw sorry. Foods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's all there is to it and mm-hmm. within that certain versions mm-hmm. right if you look at something like meat well yeah there's steak right mm-hmm. and then there's ground beef and then there's uh then there's sausage and salami and then there's processed meats right then there's so the you, keg yeah. new york <laughs> so you can go down the line of like within food categories there's more and less processed Right. Yep, you, yep. you can do that with pretty much anything like mm-hmm. there's an apple and then there's like dehydrated apple chips mm-hmm. and then there's apple juice and then there's uh, then there's juice like juice with some juice in it. <laughs> May contain apple juice. juice. Then there's like fruit roll ups yeah. might have some apple. In yeah. There. Might have some apple juice in there. Yeah. So even within whole food categories, there's a spectrum of 
of the actual whole food to the more processed mm -hmm. versions that people try and pass off mm -hmm. as a whole food. So Metflex, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, sure. Metabolic flexibility. That wasn't really on my radar up until I joined Hybrid. Um, you know, I, I, it's something that I chose to, to adopt to an extent. Um, and it's something that just naturally fit with kind of what my goals were and what my lifestyle was and my skill level in the kitchen. Right. So, um, could you just kind of break down what that is? Um, why or why you would use it? Um, and then anything else there? Yeah. So the reason why I made the Metflex RX diet was pretty much just for the members here mm -hmm. to give them some clarity because everyone wants structure, mm -hmm. right? Even if you can make things simple, people want structure. And the whole idea behind the diet was that you have protein, you have fat, and you have carbohydrates. We have access to all of these nutrients. There's none that should be outright demonized and mm -hmm. none that should be outright glorified. It's how can you properly make best use of all of these nutrients based off of what your life is like mm -hmm. and what your goals are. So the whole idea is that, yeah, carbohydrates, specifically a controversial nutrient, where something, you know, someone who follows something like the ketogenic diet will outright say like carbohydrates are dangerous. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, if you sit on your butt all day long and don't do anything, then yeah, carbohydrates are a problem. Or if the carbohydrates you eat all come from processed foods and mm -hmm. are all simple sugars, yeah, carbohydrates are bad. But in whole food form, particularly with an active individual, carbohydrates can be helpful. Right. So the whole idea of the Metflex RX diet is you have basic energy nutrients, which is your carbohydrates and your fats. Mm -hmm. When you're doing less, you should be using more fat. When you're doing more, you should be using more carbohydrates. Right. And the whole model of the diet is just showing people on days when you're more active this is what your split should look like between carbohydrates and fats. And on days when you're less active, this is what your split should look like. And then just some uh, suggestions of where you should get those foods from, where mm -hmm. you should get those nutrients from, which is just basically a whole food diet where things like dairy, grains, uh, eggs, things like that, things that can be common allergens it's not that you can't have them. You just need to be honest about how they actually make you feel. And if they're just a palatable food that doesn't make you feel good that you want to keep eating because mm -hmm. it tastes good mm -hmm. or it's something that you actually thrive with. Yeah. So using using both carbohydrates and fats interchangeably as needed along with your activity level to be able to thrive with both of both of those energy systems mm -hmm. rather than saying one is good one is bad they both serve a purpose and if you know what that purpose is you can use them more intelligently and i think that's an important element to that particular um what do i call it a framework sure yeah um because you're if you look at from monday through sunday your activity activity level changes quite drastically some days you're going into the gym uh, other days you're doing some restorative yoga, you're walking your dog, uh, or you're running long distance. So it would make sense that what you put on your plate um, would change. But it's adapting to your lifestyle, which is a, an important element, right? Right. You don't want to make your lifestyle necessarily have to fit a certain type of diet. Right. Right. Yeah, and then you can, and then you get more variety and joy from food. 
and you can vary it throughout the week. Mm -hmm. And depending on what you're doing that day is how you decide how much or how little you're mm -hmm. going to have mm -hmm. of something. And then you want a body that can use both types of fuel as needed when available. You become a better fat burner. Mm -hmm. You become a better glucose user. So you don't suffer from carbohydrates and you don't suffer from fat intake. You can thrive with both as long as you're feeding your body appropriately, given how you move on any given day. And there are some peripheral uh, health advantages to your body's ability to shift between using carbs and fat, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of those being there. I mean, this is a while ago. Like this is a uh, it goes beyond kind of performance and body composition, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because yes. I know that that flexibility key, uh, piece of how your body moves from fat to carb utilization, that is another element as well, right? Right. It's just metabolic health, right? If you, if you struggle to use one source, you probably struggle to use both sources mm -hmm. is the first part. And you don't want to be a person who can't get... Uh, who can't get the energy they need from either carbohydrates <laughs> or fats. So you see this with people who, when they eat carbohydrates, their blood sugar goes through the roof. They overproduce insulin to get the blood sugar down. And they're eating all the time because anytime they go without food, they can't properly metabolize their body fat. And when they can't proper, properly metabolize their body fat in the absence of food, they get headaches, they get fatigue, they get ravenous hunger, all these sorts of things. Is right? that that insulin roller coaster that you yeah. mentioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So it's not just about performance and body composition. It's if you can't use those fuels interchangeably in a flexible way, mm -hmm. your health is suffering as well. Um, and it, it, it's mostly a it's mostly a matter of properly exercising, choosing the right foods, food quality, and then managing your fat and carbohydrate intake based off of your level of activity and the intensity of the activity. So, for instance, when you are doing an all out sprint, you are pretty much only going to be using glucose mm -hmm. for that right you're going to be using primarily your glycolytic system but as you get into more uh endurance based exercise especially getting into things like walking and sitting you are going to be using almost purely oxidized fat for energy you're going to be using fatty acids for your energy and there's a scale all the way in between the more intense the activity the more glycolytic it will be, the less intense the activity, the more fat that you will actually use for that activity. Um, so you want to be able to efficiently use both those fuels for both those things. So when you're sitting, walking, sleeping, you're metabolizing as much fat as possible mm -hmm. to serve those energy needs um, and minimizing the amount of carbohydrates that you're consuming. Mm -hmm. And then if you do intense activity, like you play sports, you do sprints, you do, you do, uh, you know, hit cardio, things like that. If you want to actually perform during those activities, you need to have enough carbohydrates in order to maximize your performance mm -hmm. in those places. Um, some people will go nuts right now and say that you can be uh, on a ketogenic diet and perform at the highest level without carbohydrate intake. 
yeah, that might be true for some people, but it's going to take you over a year to a year and a half of that carbohydrate restriction times not performing at your highest level in that activity to get to the point when you can. So who's listening to this right now that's in that group of people where that seems like a reasonable thing to do Mm -hmm. when you could just have some carbohydrates and manage them and perform at the highest level, which Mm -hmm. means when you do those activities, you get as strong as possible. You get as fit as possible. And assuming that's what you want to get out of doing that type Mm -hmm. of work, why not just feed yourself a little bit to allow yourself to perform at the highest level? Mm -hmm. Is this like a is this a pathway that improves with your your ability to to utilize fat and then and then carbs? Is this a pathway that improves as you continue to adopt this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the more time spent eating appropriately within times where you're doing a lot and times where you're doing a little, your body just gets better at adapting mm-hmm. to those different states. And then in the Metflex or X diet, we talk about little tricks you can do to kind of force those adaptations, right? Which might be starting your day walking on an empty stomach just to force that fat adapt- mm-hmm. uh, adaptation a little bit um, and things like that. And we don't need to get into those right now, but there's little things you can do in addition to just the basics of, mm-hmm. of managing your carbohydrate and fat intake. Um, but yeah, the more time you spend doing it, the better you get at using both of those fuels mm-hmm. properly. And then it allows you to not be restrictive in your diet of, I don't eat carbohydrates or I eat a low fat diet. Well, you don't have to do either mm-hmm. and still get what it is that you want for your health. Mm-hmm. So kind of switching gears a little bit, um, if you kind of look at your, your typical, and again, this is going to be a big generalization, but if you look at your typical Western diet, what are some things that you'd like to avoid? I know we mentioned processed foods. I would imagine uh, portion size is probably another thing and maybe timing, but um, maybe give that a little breakdown. Yeah. So uh, if you're looking at like a standard North American diet, there's going to be quite a bit of processed food. There's mm-hmm. going to be lots of snacking. There's going to be lots of eating out, eating at drive throughs uh, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's hard to give specific advice there because it's where are you suffering and what comes up all the time? Mm-hmm. Like some people go to bed too late, wake up rushed. They're eating at, you know, if you're in Canada, you're eating in a Tim Hortons drive through getting a breakfast breakfast. sandwich (laughs) on the way to work every day. Uh, That's the thing that you need to manage. Or some people, uh, you know, suffer from stress and anxiety. Mm. And at the end of the day, they're so spent that they spend three hours on the couch, which usually means boredom-based snacking Mm -hmm. or emotionally driven snacking. Mm -hmm. So then it's, you know, three hours of going to the popcorn, to the chips, to finding out what else you can get into right once Mm -hmm. you go start down that roller coaster so for that person that's the thing that needs to be reduced and managed because the things that come up all the time are the things where you need the least amount of change to make an impact right because if you're eating a thousand calories of snack foods every single night in front of the tv if you can cut that from seven days a week to five days a week Mm -hmm. or from a thousand calories of snacks to 700 calories Mm -hmm. of snacks or an equal amount of calories of snacks from healthy foods like those those pay big dividends back Mm -hmm. right because it's every single day 
you have problems in these areas but most people think like it's it's one or the other either i just cut it all out or i don't bother yeah scale and substitution are two uh, i'd say like adoptable tools at first if you do have something that that is is you know is nailing you like like tom was saying here um the snacks or maybe it's beers maybe it's like friday saturday i'm having 10 beers maybe instead of 10 maybe it's five don't eliminate that right off the bat and go cold turkey but change the scale or if it's if it's you know like sour keys or whatever something super high sugar like you, you need that sugar kick maybe substitute that for something with less sugar right so it's not that you're you're stopping cold turkey but you're taking the steps in that particular direction and then as you get better at that, you can you can work at that a little bit more, right? Yeah, it's like all the studies that will show exercising one day a week, what it can do for you. And that's because they look at populations of people who never exercise. Mm-hmm. And then those people think, well, if I'm not exercising three to five days per week, what's the point? It's like, no, if you're not exercising at all, one day a week is going to give you a big reward, mm-hmm. right? And the same is in the reverse. If you have these food habits, the thing that shows up every day, you make a small change in the thing that shows up every day and it makes it, it pays back big time because mm-hmm. that's where you're making a lot of ground with a small moderation. Mm-hmm. So everyone has all these different things. Like some people eat too much processed food. Some people eat out too much some people eat in the drive-thru on the way to work mm-hmm. some people snack too much at night like you know what your big one to two things are so whatever that is it's not that it needs to be eliminated it just needs to be managed right but usually we're so ingrained in that bad eating habit that it seems daunting and we tell ourselves it's all or nothing and either we just stop doing it or it's not worth moderating, mm-hmm. but maybe it's worth trying just some general moderation. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of logging or or kind of journaling food habits, eating habits? Potentially. Uh, I think some people will find that helpful. Some mm-hmm. people won't. Um, I think you have to know what approach is generally going to work for you. Like me personally, I just have to... I just have to be sure to have the conversation with myself before the thing comes up that always comes up. So lately it's been, I spend too much time um, on the computer at night before going to sleep. And I know it's disrupting my sleep Mm -hmm. and disrupting my sleep has a cascade of a whole bunch of other events that are not helpful for me. So instead of uh, instead of the last like half an hour that I would spend on the computer, I make a point to go downstairs, listen to something and I do stretching and breathing exercises Mm -hmm. every single night. But this will only happen if at like three or four o'clock I remind myself this is what you're doing tonight. And when you get on the computer, this is the strict time that you are off and you are going downstairs and you are doing this thing. And if I just rely on myself to not have that conversation Mm -hmm. ahead of time, then in the moment I'll make up a million different excuses of why that's not something that needs to happen or I just won't even think about it. Um, So for me, it's like mental planning the day of three to four hours before that thing is actually gonna be a problem. That goes a long way for me because then once I'm on the computer, the voice in my head is saying, this is what you agreed upon. Mm-hmm. This is the thing you told yourself you're going to do. And for whatever reason, it's important for me to follow through mm-hmm. on that mental plan I already made. For someone else, that might be journaling. Mm-hmm. For someone else, that might be having like an accountability buddy or letting mm-hmm. someone in their family know, when I do this thing, 
you tell you remind me of the thing I'm not supposed to be doing. I think for everyone else, the strategy of what's effective is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think lots of things can be helpful. There's nothing that's going to be helpful for everybody. Right. It's like adult Tommy talking to kid Tommy. It's exactly what it is. You need to go to bed now, man. Yeah. It's, we talked about it's future Tommy who cares about himself talking to present Tommy who wants stimulation or whatever it is that I'm going for. Yeah. Right. It's like, uh, it's like every children's cartoon before 1980, where there was person on the one shoulder and the person on the other (laughs) shoulder. Right. Everyone has those two voices. Yeah. Uh, You have to give more, more space and a bigger megaphone to the one that, you know, you should actually be listening to. The one thing I'm, I'm starting to realize slowly, but very clearly is that um, if I put too much faith on future Dion to solve the problems, future Dion doesn't always come through. (laughs) Future Dion's like, oh man, here we are. Okay. All right. (laughs) Carry on, carry on. (laughs) Right. So it's tough, right? Because, uh, Saying that, you know, like, oh, I will do that, you know, at least for me, if I say, like, yeah, you know, I'll get to that later or, or tonight I will do that unless I have some 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 further thought as to, like, how that factors into my day or or why that's important. It, it usually doesn't get done. Yeah. Whether and, that's going to sleep or whatever. Right. And here's an interesting thing. Like most people, just the thought of of doing the thing they're supposed to do gives them a certain amount of satisfaction that they don't actually do mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. It's like if the new year is coming around and someone's going to take better care of themselves, if they do a bunch of planning and mm-hmm. a bunch of research and talk about all the things that they're going to do and lay it out for a lot of people, just that act alone makes them temporarily feel good enough about themselves mm-hmm. that they don't follow through with any of right, it. Right. They've already gotten the hit of change yeah. of like satisfaction of, They've done something to take care of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got a bunch of likes because they said he asked what we're <laughs> exactly. doing. Exactly. I get a, I get um, I don't want to say rush, but I do get a sense of satisfaction from crossing off something on my list or whatever. If it's an app, like I got a reminder app when it says like do this, and I do that. I like that feeling, so I use reminders on my phone or on my computer. I'm sure I'm not the only one out here, um, but that is kind of the the thing that you know. Um, I'll create a list and then when it becomes done, I'll, I'll select it off. And I find that it's, uh, it helps me budget my time. It helps me prioritize my tasks. And I also get that feeling of, Hey, that was good. I got that done. And then it gives you a sense of like, this day went like this and this is what I got accomplished. And that for me is useful. Well, and it has to matter to you, Mm -hmm. right? It has like, you can't use a system that you don't really care about. Mm -hmm. You can't use a system that doesn't make you feel like there's a consequence of not doing the thing that you're supposed to Mm -hmm. do. And for everyone, that will be a little bit different, Mm -hmm. right? For some people, it's a good idea to socially post the thing that they're going to do. But only if that social social pressure actually matters to you. Mm -hmm. Because some people will put something out there and then they just know that everyone's going to forget about it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then they won't follow through with it where mm-hmm. some people will be so socially paranoid or it's a pride thing. I, I publicly said I'm going to do this thing. I have to follow yeah. through with it. Yeah. Right. So there's no one thing that's going to work for two people mm-hmm. and whatever tool strategy you use to hold yourself accountable to any habit or behavior change the tool has to actually matter Mm -hmm. to you and mean something to you and the consequence of not using it and not following through has to hurt you in some way if you want it to work so you got to find out whatever that 
thing is. Mm-hmm. And for everyone, I think it's something maybe a little bit different. Mm-hmm. One thing um, we didn't really touch upon uh, is healthy eating can taste amazing and it should. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Like I know like sometimes it gets, it gets, you know, you talk about healthy eating and you picture broccoli and rice and you're like, man, that's boring. Right. But you can make it taste great. And it actually, it should, because if you're going to be adopting that long term, you're probably going to want to enjoy that. Right. So I don't know if that's a, a piece that really gets um, enough love, but I know if, you know, look, thinking back about when my wife and I cooked together, um, that was one of the tastiest meals we've had in a long time. And it also happened to be probably one of the healthiest. Yeah. So. Salt, fat, acid, spice. Those things acid? In, in some common, yeah, like things vinegar. like uh, some things like vinegar, yeah. like balsamics, things like that, uh, citrus, mm-hmm. anything along those lines. Like some combination of those four things will make meals taste good. And I should also mention that, yeah, while I'm a good cook now, it took me 10 years of making really bad food <laughs> to get there. And, you know, in one week, out of 10 things I made, 10 things would be disgusting. And then maybe a month later, nine out of 10 things would be disgusting. And one thing, it'd be pretty good. And then after a few years, nine out of 10 things that I would make would taste good. You know, it's like cooking is art. You got to throw some stuff out there, see what works for you. Sometimes uh, you'll come up with some magic. Most times you'll come up with garbage. But the more that you do it and the more you sharpen that sword, the better things are going to be. Um, so don't be afraid to go out and try things and screw things up and, and make some things that don't taste great. I mean, it's all part of the fun uh, as far as I see it. Yeah. And yeah, whole foods and foods you make yourself should taste better than the food that you're eating right now. Mm. And if you make more of your own food, the things right now that you think are appealing and appetizing will slowly change. Like I'll have dinner with my dad and he'll put ketchup on the most inappropriate things. I'm just looking at him like, what? I can only think of one to two things you would use ketchup for. And that's not it. But he can't cook and he's been putting ketchup on everything his whole life because to him ketchup is the taste to me the food is the taste yeah right like the vegetables are the taste the meat is the taste the mild seasonings that are put Mm -hmm. on those foods is the taste i don't require like a fridge full of 800 different types of condiments for my food (laughs) because i the food is what tastes good yeah to him he's like that's great but uh Pass that ketchup. Yeah, I, I'm gonna put some of that. Uh, Thanks, anyways. Ketchup on my spaghetti. First, uh, first thing I ever cooked on my own was uh, first year university. I lived on my own with three uh, roommates that I I didn't know. Um, I lived off campus here. I went to Western, and uh, I realized that there was nothing in my cupboard, so I needed to go get some food. So I walked over to Value Mart. I got some pasta. I got some ground beef. And I got, um, I want to say it was Diana sauce. And I cooked that bad boy up. And that was my meal for probably three days. So that was my start. That was my very first meal that I cooked. It tasted delicious. But after three days, I was like, I got I to change it up. So then I went <laughs> rice and chicken. And it's like, I got this go-to kind of formula that I that I worked with for a while. And then I... I I started to evolve a little bit and experiment and every now and then, you know, there'll be a 
a recipe that I'll see that I'll follow it, but I'll add my own taste. So this is just me kind of like walking through, you know, my own experience with cooking because it was not easy, especially if, um, if you know, you're, you're, you're used to good tasting food. My parents used to cook a lot at home. Um, a lot of healthy dishes. Like that was, that was one of the things that we, we value, um, at home. So I was very fortunate for that, but unfortunately I didn't always listen to my mom and dad and, and observe them. So, you know, if you're a parent listening, um, if unless you want your kid to, you know, to do some pasta dishes um, when they go, like this is a, a an important skill that you could pass down. And if you make it fun and if you make it meaningful, then this is this is a generational thing that you're you're passing down. And and you know, we went to my brother-in-law's house um, early in the summer. We had a big event with all the family, and, and afterwards we're talking. We're like, you know, that this is something that very easily dies if it's not passed on, and if you don't value that, you know, if you don't value uh, food and and the time and the preparation and even the stories, right behind the dishes, right behind grandma's dish or whatever, these are things that can very easily just be gone forever, right? And then we we can go into that. Well, I know it's a little easier. Maybe I'll just order. You know, it happens. It happens almost insidiously and it happens quietly. But if you could put an effort towards that, if you if you're not sure, like how to cook, maybe make it a fun exercise where, you know, you and your kids are learning how to do it or wow them with your with your go to dish and then, you know, have the have them come to you. But um, it is definitely something that's that's important, um, especially in today's day and age where where it's very easy not to do that and it's very convenient to to go that route. So I just wanted to kind of share that because you know as as I as I kind of go into this journey it's something that I definitely want to be more cognizant of and it's something that I I value in terms of culture and um and story and and unity, you know, when family comes over it's a it's a great matter of pride especially on my wife's side, you know, of of, of who's on the barbecue or who's cooking. Um, and even on, on my side, you know, when, when we go over to visit my parents' house, my dad, you know, my mom and my dad, they, uh, they, they show off, right. And they show off and that becomes the, the highlight of the evening very quickly. So, um, yeah. Well, we take food for granted, right. Mm -hmm. And it's easy. It's easy to take food for granted. And it's something that people should be more grateful for mm -hmm. considering how essential it is. Mm -hmm. And people, do, and you just look at how much we disrespect food by what we're willing to put inside of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Right. So having that sort of, you know, even if it's once a week, family gets together, makes something, sits down. It's just learning relearning to be grateful for something that yeah is easy for us all to come by right now but probably won't be forever mm -hmm. and definitely wasn't in the past you're just lucky right now and and you know speaking of kids it's uh you know i'm not the first person to say this but when i involve my kids in the process of the food they will always eat it it's like it tastes different to them yeah. or matters to them in a different way when they've been involved. If it's just made for them all the time and they have no experience in the actual preparation of it, they won't eat it. Mm -hmm. Like I posted a, I posted an Instagram video last week of my little guy in my mom's garden. He's three years old, pulling I like onions, just green onions out of the garden and eating them, 
pulling cilantro out of the garden and eating it. Like I can't imagine raw green onions and cilantro really taste that good to a three-year-old. Yeah. But he's in there pretending to garden, pulling things out. It's just it the novelty of it is yeah. enough to get him to eat those things. Where yeah. if they were just brought to him at the dinner table, he would, ne- he like, would never do that. Yeah. But to him, it's a, you know, and maybe this is exactly what we're talking about right now is that the food is about way more to him in that setting mm-hmm. than it is if it's just something that shows up that he yeah. eats. Sounds like he's uh he's paleo, dude. One hundred percent. He's hunter gathering. Yeah, he yeah. will only eat food that he has caught himself. What's your uh, What's your go to dish? What's your favorite thing to cook? Hmm. Well, it's octopus. I do like uh, I do like fish seafood a lot. Yeah. Um. It's I mean it's all different versions of the same thing. Yeah. It's animal and plant made in some way Mm -hmm. and uh and i'll you know i like to i i like to use the pan i'll bake in the oven i'll slow cook i'll use the barbecue it just depends on you know that's how for me the variation in cooking style and the variation in like i said the you know fat salt acid spice that's what makes any food exciting Mm. then it doesn't matter what i make it's just you know a a few plants and an animal and i make them with one of those different types of cooking styles with you know different flavoring agents but it's it's always it's always a different version of the same thing Mm. and i eat across the spectrum so as many different vegetables as possible as many different types of meats as possible fish um I can't really get anyone else on the organ meat wagon. The but, organ meat? Yeah, but I, I eat lots of organ meats. Um, you know, heart, liver, mm-hmm. occasionally be, occasionally brain, lots of bone broth, things Is like that. Is it heavy? Mm-hmm. Is the brain heavy? <laughs> Funny. Bad dad joke. Some, some people joke. get that joke. But yeah, even if, it's, uh, even if it's an organ meat that I don't particularly like the taste of, yeah. But I want the nutritional benefit of I'll do like three to one ground beef to the organ meat mm. and put the organ meat in a food processor. Like a tool, and yeah. then it just tastes like ground beef. I can't yeah, yeah. even tell that it's in there. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to make some of those palate sacrifices for something that's more nutrient dense mm-hmm. and something that I think I get more out of than just stimulation. And I also think that's good for people mm-hmm. sometimes eating things where it's not just about pleasure. It's not just about mouth pleasure. It's about what the food is actually there for. Yeah. Yeah. That, that term mouth pleasure, I, before I came here, I didn't, um, I, I had never heard that. <laughs> that word rings in my head all the mouth pleasure, bro. Like, just put it, put it down. It's just a mouth, risky term. Mouth pleasure. <laughs> There's probably a better one to use. Yeah. It's, it's straightforward. It's to the point. It gets, it, it hits home. Yeah. I took a picture of, um, I took a picture of some steak that I absolutely did a 10 out of 10 job on and i posted on instagram and i put a caption killed it with a flame with a fire emoji killed it mike dropped it i got a message from tommy an hour later did you actually kill it <laughs> did, <laughs> did you actually i mean that's a that's steak? a good topic for uh for another episode but any anything in in closing here tommy uh yeah diet trends they can be 
helpful if there's something that seems exciting to you then any diet is helpful if it gets you eating better than you were before mm -hmm. but there's no magic in any diet you're gonna follow keto paleo carnivore vegan like it's there's nothing special about any of them except they're all whole foods diets and there's no room for processed food in any of them mm -hmm. but you should be able to manage that yourself without the restriction or ideology that typically comes with those diets as well unless that's something you need mm -hmm. if you need a group to be a part of then maybe you need to be in one of those groups and that's what's going to keep you on your diet like who am i to judge mm -hmm. um but the the magic's not in the diets the magic is in what they limit you to and what they keep you from um so don't, if you're going to do one of them, don't do it if it makes you miserable, but you think it's the answer because it's not. Mm -hmm. But if it, if you get something else out of being a part of a group or following that thing, then maybe there's something there for you. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys.